I just don't think that people understand that things die. And that's a very nine theme mm-hmm. is sort of sneaky stuff that I do that nobody knows about where right. I get my goodies because I can't speak up. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like because he's a nine and because there is so much flatness in his whole life and in his whole affect and everything, I wonder if like it took killing to experience any kind of vitality, mm, you know, yeah. to experience any kind of like aliveness. The Big Hormone Enneagram. Hi, I'm John Lukovic, uh, sexual self-pressed, 4 5 wing, 4 5 8 Hi, I'm David Gray, self-pressed, sexual, 9 with 1, 9, 7, 4, trifix. What up, it's Emika, I'm an 8 wing 7, sexual self-pressed, with 8, 5, 4, fixes. Hi, I'm Nancy, I am a self-pressed, social, 3, wing 4, with a... Six, nine, try if you like our podcast, guys, make sure you go like and subscribe on the Apple Podcast app. And if you really like us, you should definitely leave us a review. We doing Dahmer? Is that what we're doing? Yeah. Y'all, did y'all watch it? Yeah, I watched the uh, three episodes. Three episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. What y'all think? It's dark, man. Uh, it's good. <laughs> It's, I mean, it's hard to watch. Real quick. I consume true crime all day, every day. John, can you do an intro? We, we've been slacking on those lately. Oh, yes. Continuing low vibrational living with Big Hormone Enneagram. Uh, we coming back with uh, uh, plugs, uh, as usual. We are doing, uh, you know, please buy my book. Please rate and review my book. We got uh, Alexandra, the astrology mastress. Uh, Enneagram and Astrology. We got Dark Arts and Getting Typed by uh, two, two of the gentlemen here and a third gentleman who's not present. And we got Davis Trifix book, which is uh, an amazing visual exploration and not just of Trifix, but of energies and combinations of the types. It gives With a, a great intro by John. <laughs> Sorry? With, With a, a great, great intro. intro. As, as good as this one. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, what else? what else we got on there? No, that's everything, I think. Yeah. Thanks, everything. Yeah. So, uh, and, you know, please uh, send us money. Uh, it's getting to be close to holidays, and oh, we yeah. got to buy plane tickets to go to various... Uh, <laughs> Houses, yeah. Amsterdam? To come yeah, to Amsterdam. Yeah, to go to Amsterdam. <laughs> yes. So, you know, Is it me? you want to donate to I'm our... a student now, so I'm broke. So if you guys ever want to send yeah. me money. So, yeah, right. And then I'm doing, I do coaching and Enneagram shit with people one-on-one. So there's all that, so... You doing okay. your Sunday sessions? Oh yeah, yeah. I'm still doing um, study group. It's still going strong. Uh, I've been really enjoying it, and it brings up a lot of interesting discussion. And we do self observations and practices. And um, there's these breakout rooms where people discuss certain themes. And so, like, we've been talking about instinctual stacking and the narcissism that we have around all three instincts. And you know, it's just kind of it's just very generative and really really good and interesting. Dahmer is a nine. Dahmer is a nine. Yeah. That's going to be the one title that of was, the show. One thing that was interesting was to me, because I've watched it, all of it, and just how much it actually really was hitting on what attachment is. Yeah. Or just giving the feel of attachment. Mm-hmm. It was actually 
like really hitting hard on that. Amazing in that context of a David was guilt. like hard relating with that. Uh, hard relating <laughs> yes, to the bodies oh, in the yes. basement. When I was 17, I had my first victim in my mm-hmm. basement. <laughs> the body is still there. Well, well, what I thought was, I mean, first of all, I think it is like horrible that they made this show. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah. And, uh, like Nancy, you and Emika didn't get to the end, did you? No, just not three yet. episodes. I'm planning on it, but not yet. So, I mean, I think the first episode is the darkest. Mm. Yeah, but, it's horrible. But, um, there's another episode that focuses on like his neighbor and her experience of mm-hmm. being his neighbor. Yeah. It's pretty br- brutal, but you know, one of the things about the show is like it's obviously like, really exploitative, but uh, you know, like it's like horrifying that that you know, these are real people and stuff like this, but the last episode starts with um and it's not really spoiling anything, but it's it starts with uh John Wayne Gacy. And it shows how John Wayne Gacy would like torment the people that he would kill. And you know, Dahmer like kind of just tried to kill them real quick and then would whatever and he'd also make sure they were unconscious too and so it paints this like sympathetic view of Dahmer. <laughs> yeah <laughs> well and that was an interesting contrast too because i think gacy actually was a two yes uh-huh. oh wow and yeah yeah um and and you kind of see it the two at eight in because like he he First of all, he was denying having done any of it, and he was um, sort of identifying with being like a saintly good person. So it was like that classic two sort of association with a religious self or something like that. And um, yeah, anyway, that was pretty interesting, the contrast. Like Dahmer sort of didn't, want the people i mean if it's if the series is true to what happened it's like he didn't want the people to experience the torture he wanted them to be unconscious yeah he was the one that didn't like he didn't like the act of killing technically right uh he just wanted the people to i don't want to say he just wanted the people to stay because that paints him as like this oh all he wanted was connection like that's not it but You know, it's different. It's different. It's not better. It's Connection different. on an organic level. <laughs> yeah, the thing about Dahmer that's fascinating is that he seemed to like an erotic, emotional relationship with like deadness itself. You know, like he was right. like the, his yeah. libidinal energies were invested in viscera and bones and corpses and, 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 and dead flesh and, you know, mm-hmm. dissection, all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> like you just live, like the, you know, the sense of the smell that they keep emphasizing, like that he, he lived in that in and it. seemingly was unfazed by that, like on a, you know, on like a animal level that we're like repelled by the smell of rotting flesh. And he just like was imbibed in that. And, and part of that was to me sort of an, an attachment thing in this, in that, he had done all this stuff with roadkill dead animals with his dad. Yeah. And so it was sort of connecting into that. David, whole... you also said something about how you think he's self-pressed sexual. And... I think so. And yeah. this, this sort of, uh, whether he is or not, this sort of like erotic uh, attachment to 
death itself seems like i mean maybe is there another self-pressed sexual serial killer on the list that we've typed i don't know yeah i think there's something some that there. we thought were but yeah but yeah there's a there is a thing with spsx and death and sort of wanting to uh wanting it to permeate the air as a beautiful stench in the, in the show they, <laughs> they um they relate Dahmer to Ed, Ge Ed Gein or Ed Gein or whatever. Yeah, Ed Gein. Mm, yeah. Who Gein. also had a similar like interior decorating with human flesh and <laughs> yes, whatever. Uh, it was D. Do you know anything about his? Yeah, I I would start to wonder if he was an attachment type as well because it was that similar theme of wanting to keep like his mother around made a lampshade out of her skin or whatever yeah he, beautiful I'm thing sure he like hung skins from his ceiling or some yeah. weird shit like that i think there was something too with ed gein that like other of his he like after he killed his mom he put his mom like in the flower bed or something like that and then a bunch of the other victims below her so that they could look up to her even after she was dead because that's like what she wanted was like wow. to be looked up to so that's like it, like he was creating right. an altar, altar. almost. Yeah. yeah. Also, it's like here, mom. You now you have what you want. Like a still, I'm giving you what you want. I'm still attaching to you, mom. So Ted Bundy, we have a self-pressed sexual three wing too. And I, I, I've been looking at that again based on a few people in the group prompting, and I think that's that's up for revision at this. Okay. Point. All right. Yeah, cool. Potentially social self-pressed. Yeah, actually think? social mm. self-pressed when you look at it in interviews. Is Richard Ramirez self-pressed sexual? He seems oh, social blind. Yeah, that was uh, be, yeah. <laughs> that. That seemed like anytime I see a killer who's just like wanting to eat the flesh, that that feels very self-pressy. Yeah, yeah. Plus, yeah. he's sexy like me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's our main identifier. <laughs> there was like a. You look like David. There was like a video on Hot Facebook. Like David, he must be self-pressed sexual. <laughs> There was a video interview on like a street interviewer who was asking people, uh, showed him a picture of two guys and one of them was Richard Ramirez. And, so, and he asked this lady, who do you trust more? And she said, she picked the photo of Richard Ramirez and she's like, well, uh, you know, this guy that you chose has uh, killed many women. And she's like, oh, but I, I guess, you know, because he's hot. <laughs> oh, God, that's so weird. The, the, the hot serial killer thing even looking at a serial killer and thinking this person is hot is so fucking weird well me. here's the thing you you wouldn't think that if you didn't know that they were a serial killer you'd be just like oh that's an attractive person i guess yeah. that's exactly what it, it is I, no, yeah it's probably my social like corrupting my sexual in the sense of like oh you're a shitty person you must have nothing to offer <laughs> yeah you just don't know that they're a shitty person you're just like oh i want to fuck this guy yeah, but I feel like that's Rough. like a natural reaction. It's like this person causes harm. I no longer find them attractive. But but, but then again, he had all this fan mail and huge fans you know? and a marriage proposal. I think he got married to somebody. So what's going on there? People want the death yeah. and the destruction and the David Gray. I, I think. <laughs> and the like, David Gray. <laughs> I was kind of, this is like actually really, it was very interesting to me is like, you know, why somebody like even Dahmer would, you know, get all this fan mail and attention and stuff like this. And, you know, I think like, I mean, there's probably a fuck ton of reasons, but one thing I was thinking about was, and that was fascinating in terms of Dahmer being a nine, was throughout the show, 
he says, I didn't do anything with my life. Like, I'm a nobody. I didn't do mm. anything. You know, which is pretty, like, typical, like, nine kind of self-image. You know, right. Unhealthy nine self-image. Mm-hmm. And, um, and yet, you know, he became this object of fascination, for people, right? So he's, like, thought he himself was, like, a loser. Right. And then now he's, like, the subject of TVs and podcasts and books and whatever. And, like, you know, basically, like, a celebrity. And, like, you see that in the show where he's, like, receiving fan mail in jail, you know, and stuff <laughs> this. And, um, and, you know, I feel like people like Dahmer or people like Trump or something like this, like, there's a way in which they seemingly, like, exist outside of a certain conventional life. Mm-hmm. And I feel like most right. of us are, like, in this process of, like, we're just trying to make our relationships work and we're just trying to, like, feed ourselves and, like, you know, function in kind of, like, a, a normal way. Mm-hmm. And yet there are these people that seem like they're exempt from those, like, values that keep us in a kind of grind, you yeah. know? Like, I it's mean... It's, like, not fair. Yeah, it's like, they, well, they seem to be, like, outside the bounds of right. a certain normalcy that I think we all feel a little confined by. And so it's, like, it's like a weird dissociation from one's own life force that projects, like, there's something happening over there. Yeah. You know, there's, like... There, all there's the fire a, is with them. Yeah, there's a freedom or a fire or a, a life force over there that I don't have access to. And so sometimes, like, you know, people will, like, um, I was listening to a podcast, I think, and they just offhandedly mentioned some girl that has serial killer tattoos on her, which is like... Oh, yeah, you know, she, got the do- she got Dahmer tattooed on her leg. So, yeah, some, I don't know where I'm, I picked this up, but I, heard, I remember hearing Wow. This. And, you know, and it's like, like where, what, what are you trying to associate to yourself through that whatever that symbol uh, that he represents psychically so i think that there's something like you know and Dahmer himself you know he's getting this projection of like libidinal life force mm-hmm. and yet he was so uh Im- immersed in absolute death like yeah. an absolute black hole of life force that it's like oh there's something over there you know what i'm saying there's yeah. also there's also i feel like a level of uh anti-aesthetic that people latch on to because um i was listening to a podcast about this girl there are lots of people but they're called columbiners oh god like, i've heard uh, that shit yeah 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 yeah, yeah. or the they um uh they basically idolize the columbine shooters mm. um wow. and they uh like just love them they love them. There's like fan art and everything. And wow. this girl flew from America to Canada to like reenact Columbine in Canada. Uh, she was caught. <laughs> she didn't get through with it because Canada's like, fuck you, no guns. Um, <laughs> but when she was in prison, they were interviewing her. And she was like, oh, yeah, we were talking about what we were going to wear and, and uh, how we were going to look and music we were going to play and what playlists we were going to have. And like we were going to be serial killer chic. And it's like, I don't think that's that uncommon for yeah. people to latch onto this aesthetic of serial killers. Like, it's a vibe. <laughs> you know, I think I mentioned this on the last call, but um, as someone who's foreign to this country, someone who came from a third world country where death is a reality, not just, you know, it's like, it's not cool when it's down the street. You know what I mean? Like, it's... it's <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs> right. When you're watching it on a TV show, it, it's you're safe because it doesn't have to touch you, oh. and and so even in this country, there's like a huge hunger or a huge uh, 
attraction or allure of like crime and these the criminal underworld um gangster rap was is always going to be have a you know any sort of dark like outlaw character is something that americans really identify with or uh fetishize in some weird way and it just feels like a you know in the west in this first world issue where you're so disconnected from the savagery of survival in most places where you don't have all these systems where everything's given to you and you go to the store and you don't even see the animal killed it's just put in a package you don't have any connection to death and so Dahmer becomes like a sexual erotic draw because you don't have any connection to how unsafe it would be to be around real killers on a week-to-week basis yeah death isn't integrated into our society and so then like with Dahmer you know death represents this far-off thing that this threshold this line that's out there that represents sort of a great unknown that you can idealize and like set in the stars almost as a something to worship and you know what something that pisses me off just as you know just a little social rant that <laughs> <laughs> that i just think about like the way when tragedies happen around the world especially in european countries that everyone's like pray for paris or pray for this i'm just like what the fuck is this? Like people are dying. Right. Like I, I don't understand yeah, yeah. why this right. is so special because mm-hmm. if you live, if you look at any of the countries in South America or Africa, this shit is happening every fucking yeah. week, yeah. but yeah. you don't care. Uh, right. So death becomes this erotic or special thing <clears throat> that people aren't aware of because they're, I don't know, sheltered from the reality of existence for most people in the world. People are fucking dealing with real dangers every it's single happened. day. It's happening every week in those countries and it's happening with many more people right like way more the people. paris thing happens and it's whatever it is 50 people or 20 or whatever and whereas we're talking thousands you know getting killed in all kinds of situations in these south america and africa like you're talking about yeah like i grew up with the awareness that i mean if you're not careful you just go missing no one goes looking for you you're just gone your body's in a ditch somewhere that's it or you got kidnapped or like you just right. have to be careful like you have to be aware that that you know there's nothing protecting you from the savagery of someone who wants to kill so like a Dahmer is like yeah someone can just decide to do that and they can get away with it for years unless someone finds out and then kills them well and i and i think you know you i think yeah you were talking about being you know watching public executions uh in nigeria last time and yeah i think that like we're we're a weird death obsessed culture and um, I remember I was visiting a friend who, uh, uh, my friends Sherry and Adam, who get like a lot of their food from farms and directly and stuff. And so this one farm had a bunch of roosters. They needed uh, too many roosters. Mm-hmm. And so um, like uh, I got picked up from the airport, went to a farm, and we ended up killing these roosters to, for, to you know, to eat them. Yeah. And, you know, I had to cut a rooster's head off. Like, actually, I was supposed to just slit its throat, but I just ended up <laughs> slicing its whole head off. And, I mean, you know, it's horrible to kill something, but at the same time, there's something profound about it in the exchange of life and death where, mm-hmm. you know, we killed this thing and, like, watching its body, like, you know, bleed out and shudder and all this kind of stuff. And, 
Um, I mean, and you know, if you don't hold the, the the rooster's body, you have to hold it upside down so it's like the blood goes to its head, so it gets docile. But still, it like kicks and it, you get you know get, you could get cut up yourself and right. And you know what? Like being responsible for something to die in a direct mm-hmm. way has a has a weight to it and a profundity, and it sort of uh, you know feels eucharistic, you know. Right. And um, and so then you know we went back to his place, and I can't cook for shit, but he cooked and uh, Adam cooked and. Um, you know, to have the animal that was alive a couple hours ago, it's something that we're completely removed from. And mm-hmm. I feel like there is a part of human nature that has developed amongst this exchange of life and death in a yes. very like profound way uh, for thousands of years. And then to suddenly be alienated from death in a sanitized way that kind of like, you know, we, we used the example last time of like grocery store, plastic wrapped mm-hmm. meat. Yeah. It's like that. But so then we're, we're like, all right, we have to constantly export death. Like a lot of the, the suffering in these other countries we're talking about, it's not entirely, but a lot, a lot is responsible for the United, from the United States. Yeah. And, and then we're obsessed with school shootings. Like, like if Alexander and I had a kid, like I wouldn't want them to be in the United States because they, like somebody could just shoot up the school. Right, you know what I mean? Right. Like that's crazy. <clears throat> It's crazy. So it's like we're like, like we gotta like put, bring the death hard, you know. It's like <laughs> yeah. so crazy. So like Dahmer is like a, like a pimple mm-hmm. in the in the skin of America <laughs> that like, uh, you know that we like are so death suppressive, and yet like it's like this huge shadow that just comes up through these weird places. Real quick, something about the chicken that struck me when I first came here, like the idea because when I growing up, I you had to pluck the chicken boil the chicken and then someone has to cut up the chicken and then you have the breast and so you have a real you know what it takes to get a breast mm-hmm. and so to go to a store and to see packages with like 10 breasts it's like it i don't know what it does to your head because it just how many chickens did you have to slaughter to get that many breasts and if you just see if you grew up seeing 10 breasts in a package you just separate yourself that it came from a, a living thing because if you do one chicken, you get two breasts right. and, and two drumsticks. So it just, it kind of removes you from the fact that that was a living thing. Totally. Totally. I was watching, or I was on Instagram and, uh, like kind of like a meme account, just like a random shit account. Like, I don't know if it was like inside of a ship or something like this, but it had this, this like, uh, little like conveyor belt kind of a thing, like, a like a trough that was like a move had a conveyor belt in it. And there was like this thing, this like hole that would like distribute, that would have big fish that were like just been caught or something. And it was just going, you know, putting these fish in the conveyor belt. And then it's like, it's some, somehow the, the something goes wrong. And then the whole room is flooded with enormous fish. Mm. I saw mm. that. And it's like water <laughs> that's like blood filled just goes through the Oh hole. my goes, God. And there's like these tech guy, tech workers, technician guys that are like trying to shut it down and like jump over the they, fish and move through it. They're like blasted and, backwards. And it was like, you know, it, it, the video itself was not like gross. Mm-hmm. There was the, just the like industrial deadness of it mm. and the like. You know, I don't know about a fish's nervous system, but like, yeah, like a chicken or some other kind of mammal, like that we just rich, like that we just process, like a, like nothing. It's just like the amount of just like suffering, animal suffering that like our daily existence lives on is just so wild. So it was just this like death, and so <laughs> yeah. 
I don't know. There's something really. Our, it's like a we have to have like a conscious relationship with Eros and Thanatos, you know. And I think we have a poor relationship with both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. As a kid, I remember uh, my dad would take me hunting, and I only ever like killed I think one squirrel. Like I did mm. not. I did not like hunting. Um, but I remember when I did. Like I still have that vivid memory of like watching it die and then skinning it. Mm. Um. And ever since then, I've always thought that, like, if anyone wants a gun, they should go hunting and kill something with it first. Like, you mm. need to understand what's, what that gun does. Because I, I just don't think that people understand that things die. Like, I don't think it clicks in their heads sometimes. Yeah, I actually people, think that's correct. Like, when you take kids or people who have gone hunting for the first time and you watch them shoot something, they're, like, in shock that it actually dies. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, you dumbass, it actually happens. Yeah. So I feel like there's just this disconnect that death occurs. Yeah. That that was one thing, even watching the Dahmer, because in the third episode, he had his first kill. And, you know, people might imagine, oh, this psychopath doesn't have any feelings, but he was in shock that he had killed someone. Even, yeah. you know, like, I would imagine that the PTSD that people who go to war experience is like, killing people is a really traumatic thing. Like mm-hmm. to to know that another human being was alive and you took life, I guess even just like when people die, like you see these statistics of people with someone was murdered today, it just feels like a number. But to see that, you know, that person was alive and yeah, you don't have any respect for life when you don't experience what death really is. Yeah. And, um, you know, the show, uh, really focused a lot on like the social issues or whatever that like you know the racism and just yeah, like that the, was interesting that you know the, the the police it was also focusing on um you know like how we kind of like stumbled through like school and the military and like you know uh you know one of the things about Dahmer too is he was like a, a serial rapist mm. um you know the whole thing at the the gay club where he would like mm-hmm. but like I don't know what it was, but nobody, they kicked him out of the club, but like, I don't know, I don't know what you, what that club owner guy could have done, but like, there's this interesting thing of like how a weirdo can just kind of get like ping pong from one thing to another and like seemingly like untethered. Uh, there's also that scene in either the first or second episode where he, uh, the, he's trying to kill that kid and the kid like runs out of his apartment and the cops give the kid back to right. him. Oh, God. If they had <laughs> just run his name, they would have known that he was a sex offender. Yep. Like the fact that people were just <clears throat> so blase the entire time, like in the third episode, he had body parts in the back of his car and they didn't bother to check. Right, that's right. It's like, yep. it's just yep. so Part of the subtext egregious. was, it was because he was a white guy. Yeah. You know, exactly. Yeah. But it's probably well, more than that too. It's he used the, nine the thing. disgust of the being like. Thing. That's true. Yeah, he also used the disgust of being gay, right? He mm, played yeah, that yeah. up because he knew people would get uncomfortable. He was a good liar. I was gonna you're muted. Oh, my bad. Have you, have you been talking this whole time? <laughs> Not really. <laughs> <laughs> just been talking to yourself. Just, just little listening sounds here and there. Just little grunts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I do think that a lot of it with Jeffrey Dahmer was the fact that he was a nine and he is so, he was so, do we think flatline for him first off? Yeah. Nine, five, yeah, three. That Definitely. Seems right. 
There's just no reactivity in him at all. And so the potential also for him being social blind just kicks that up a notch. So I think that is also part of how he just kind of kept getting away with things just because like he was so, I read or not read, I watched, I think I mentioned this last time, but I watched a, um, like a body language analysis to look at one of his, watch one of his interviews and basically just like analyze his body language, I guess, his like nonverbal cues. Mm -hmm. And one thing that they kept remarking on with Jeffrey Dahmer was the fact that there was no theatrics. There's no deception to any of his affect. It was just like pure, flat and authentic. Just, just matter of fact, no funny business. Like there's absolutely no theatrics to any of his presentation, Hmm. which I think probably lent a lot to people believing him like the cops that gave that 14 year old back are obviously like lunatic pieces of shit (laughs) um just like yeah negligent garbage um but i do think that just jeffrey dahmer's insane matter of factness probably raised no alarm bells for people unfortunately i mean it's very similar with chris watts who is another nine that, you know, do you guys know who I'm talking about? Who like killed his wife and like threw oh, yeah. his kids into like Just an her. oil bin or something like that. Yeah. Also, he was like on the news doing stories like saying, oh, I forgot the wife's name, but like, hey, wife, come back. We miss you so much. Oh, yeah. That was I someone in Colorado, so right? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. That was bizarre. Um, yeah, and it's just another of these things of just like, oh, just some completely unassuming, flat affected uh, person that no one just no one's going to take a second glance to because there's, you know, like there's no anxiety, there's no sketchiness, there's no right. theatrics. Like with Ted Bundy, you could at least, mm-hmm. he was selling something. So it's like, what the fuck are you selling? Yeah. So this is this episode becoming the Joker 9 episode that we never did. It's <laughs> yeah. Joker 9 episode. Joker 9. Well, another, af- uh, another aspect to this too is like, <laughs> I, and this is tons of disclaimers around what I'm about to say here, because I don't know how this is going to be well, or if this is going to be well received or not. But I do wonder if it was a lack of respect for life or not. And I know, I know, I feel super weird even saying that, but it's almost like because he's a nine and because there is so much flatness in his whole life and in his whole affect and everything, I wonder if like it took killing to experience any kind of vitality, mm, you know, yeah. to experience any kind of like aliveness. And so I'm not absolutely not regarding him as like a respectful person, but I'm sure that in a way he did know what like killing a person meant yeah. because it brought some semblance of like significant vitalizing. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, to yeah, me, that but... edge between life and death, that's like where the match strikes and catches fire you know Mm -hmm. there's also that scene there's that scene in episode three where um he like i think it's episode three yeah or he like he can't get off unless he's thinking about the dead fish guts oh right yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. and it's like uh, yeah like that was rough (laughs) that was upsetting (laughs) yeah that was upsetting to watch some spsx bullshit (laughs) that was (laughs) you guys didn't think that was sexy (laughs) uh not really (laughs) david do you think he's nine wing one or nine wing eight i think nine with a one i I think think that actor is a nine with an we talked about in one of the chats i think he's because I and I watched some videos. We should maybe do him on a DAA, but I think he's yeah, a nine with an eight. I'd watch that. <clears throat> you should definitely do him. I think he's a nine with an eight wing with a seven with an eight wing 
mm. secondary fix, and then a three. Okay. Yeah, so, that feels um, right. He's a wacko. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, and, and I think he, to me, the acting to me was incredible. Yeah. yeah. Also, yeah, um, he did amazing. Yeah, I mean, really, he amazing. repulsed me. And yeah. and the yeah. father too is also playing a non. Oh yeah, and right. the grandma. Yeah. Yeah, and the grandma. Yeah, like yeah. Was, and, yeah, and all his that mom denial. was probably a six. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. <laughs> oh, right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. The, the mom, um, <laughs> by the way, the best comment ever made about this TV show was from my roommate who I'm watching it with. And she said, she's, she uh, is not from America. And she said, this must be based in America because they just had an argument about a UFO. And that's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> and I just thought that was hilarious. Oh, my uh, gosh. John and I were like quickly commenting, just like looking up that this all happened in like Ohio or some shit. Wisconsin. It's always fucking Wisconsin. Ohio. It's I mean I same fucking thing, you yeah. know. <laughs> it's like Midwest. What's in Wisconsin? Midwest. <laughs> yeah, the, the Midwest is the most terrifying. It's like the BTK uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. killer. Uh, middle America. Yeah. Say what? Just that Middle America, oh, yeah. just suburb world or whatever. Mm-hmm. The, the like craziest series. There's nothing going on yeah. here, so people gotta <laughs> wear people's skin to get their. Yeah, off. yeah. I mean, yeah. It's like this weird, insane nine shadows. Jeffrey Dahmer has like nothing in his inner life. It seems he has nothing in his outer life. There's nothing in the surrounding area that's interesting at all. You know, mm-hmm. so it's like. How is he going to feel any semblance of anything? Like, take up a hobby, maybe, in its, mm-hmm. you know, instead of, you, take up a better hobby. Taxidermy. <laughs> Taxidermy would have been better <laughs> than human living people. But still, from, like, the nine perspective, it was almost like, I, I'm not going to say I understand, but. Yeah, you do. There is, uh-huh. like, a, like, if you feel dead your whole life and that's the only thing that makes you feel anything, like, of course. Of course you know? you're right. going to dive into I- it. Again, choose maybe take up like painting or something, but I think also too, this is like a fine point on the stacking is <clears throat> that when you don't have social you don't have as much of a I don't know an eye towards the the reputation that you're generating by having a career yeah. or something, and oh, so that makes it more that makes what he did you know more likely to happen Mm -hmm. so there's no even point for him to dabble in the game at all because he's not he's not getting anything from it yeah he doesn't see that whole lens of reputation and so forth another another thing about him that speaks to this sort of deadness is that he was like a major alcoholic mm-hmm. yeah and just you know just you want, want some briskies yeah <laughs> and, there are people with drinks <laughs> yeah and like um i know so many people who just who like had nothing in their lives and so they just become incredible alcoholics you know just that like that's their only entertainment yep their only way to get things kind of outside the bounds of of themselves or something you know and so it's just this like life of just utter mediocrity and deadness um i'll say this though culturally it feels like i mean there are a lot of places where people drink but culturally there's a weird thing of we're gonna get wasted like not just like have a couple drinks i I noticed that some europeans not the irish but most europeans like to drink but it's like moderate drinking from a very young age yeah but here people are not allowed to do so and once they start it's like i want to get 
fucking wasted, not just plastered. And I just never understood where that came from, but it seems very specific to to Americans mm-hmm. and the Irish, where it's like, we're not just going to drink, we're going to drink till we pass out. I think that's another um, like shadow sexual instinct yeah. thing. And, and, oh, sh- and therefore, well, and also related to the connection between like sex and death and, mm-hmm. and so forth. Like alcohol is on one level, it's ultimately a poison mm-hmm. and it's a, you know what I mean? It's a fire water again, to use my yeah elemental thing. So it like takes you to this other place and people become more, uh, sexually uninhibited and so forth. And so, Loose. yeah. And so there's this weird connection between sex and death always. And there's, I can't quite put my finger on it just yet, but I feel like there's a, uh, that individualism that the states kind of create, creates this need to like have your own experience and not, um, I don't know, be able to enjoy it with others. Mm. Uh, and is there's just like a, something about like a lack of community to take it in with. Mm, That's right. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's big. Extreme, um, like idolatry of yourself. I don't know. Yeah, no, that's that's huge. I was uh, teaching English in Mexico, so I could afford to live there and party my ass off and talk to girls. And so I made a lot of friends. I was teaching English. (laughs) You had so many lives. (laughs) (laughs) I was uh, teaching teaching English in like a corporate setting, so I had like a schedule made for me with multiple students. So I made a lot of friends who were uh, Mexicans who were professionals. And who a lot of them, quite a few of them moved to the States and we kept in contact and they experienced like huge culture shock that uh, they would get out from work and no one wanted to do anything. Like in Mexico, if you get done with work, there's like, uh, there's always a group of people who let's go get something to eat. Let's go to the strip club together. You know, there's a sense of community. Um, let's fuck, you know, prostitutes together. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Are you? Know, you? Are you? <laughs> so kind of like what we do after the, after these podcast recordings. Absolutely. Right. Let's, let's that's do. What actually, all the zone is is we just <laughs> do a lot of drugs energy. together. No, I mean that's a subject for a whole other podcast or whatever. Is just the that you wanted the orgy? lack of. <laughs> well, that one. That's yet another episode. Um, <laughs> just the social instinct. Just the the how uh, undeveloped it is in the United States. Yeah. 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 And so uh the way that we deal with stress in this com- or in this country I feel like when I lived in Mexico I noticed how people regulate your nervous system. I'm sure you know John's covered mm-hmm. this in his book mm-hmm. of just being around people and sharing vibes and doing things together mm-hmm. and that's one thing I really appreciated about uh Latin culture was that people just did shit together all the time and so they really had a hard time adjusting to the to the states because everyone every everything is just everything is individualistic and you get out from work you go home you don't have drinks with anybody you don't have dinner with anybody you don't people don't mix too much on the weekends and so it feels like uh drinking can be a way that people try to deal with the stress of just being alone of of Mm -hmm. you know like you go out and get fucked up you wouldn't do that if you had good connections and good friends. And, and, you know, one thing I've really appreciated about the last few years of, you know, just doing the pod and just getting to know you guys and getting close is like, I just realized like how much support and 
how much life it gives you to have people that you like and care about and love that you're doing things with. And, you know, 2020 was a rough year for a lot of people, but it didn't feel that way for me. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's true. You know what I mean? Because yeah. we were talking to each other, hanging out every week, and um, lots of people are out there lonely and don't have friends. And I feel like this culture just uh, encourages isolation. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. On, uh, on my school campus, it's such a strange phenomenon because we have a bar on campus mm. um, because you could drink at 18 here. And um, <laughs> the, every day at 4.30, I think, is when it opens. Yeah. And every day I walk past it and when it's past 4.30, it's packed. Mm. And I'm like, who are you people wanting to hang out like at school, after school? Like, what, go home. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, they seem to be having so much fun, but I, I just can't. I don't get it. I feel like, um, well, so uh, my friend Colleen visited a couple weekends ago. And um, like Colleen and uh, our friend Mary, uh, Colleen and Mary introduced the Enneagram to me in mm -hmm. high school. And Mary's brother uh, lives here in New York, Simon. And Simon is one of the funniest fucking people. Oh, yeah, we met him. He was, yeah. He was, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, right, right, right. I was pretty. Part of my social blindness, I always forget who me too. Um, <laughs> but I, I'm always telling people that like I've already met somebody like many, many times about this person. I'm like, oh yeah, this person's really cool. You know, they're like this, like yeah, you know, you know, you yeah. Anyway, um, but yeah, Colleen and I were like walk, you know, just just catching up and walking around and talking and stuff. And one thing Colleen said was, um, you know, that 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 we had such like intense friendships in high school that were like. We watched all these like extremely pretentious, uh, very long, artful movies. You know, like we had a whole years of watching like uh, Bergman and Kurosawa, and you know, like gradually more obscure whatevers, and um, and it was just like like we didn't we didn't have like like party time high school or mm. like you know like uh. We, it was like very snobby and 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 whatever, but you know, we didn't think of it as snobby. We were just like enjoying art and things that we thought were like meaningful, whatever. But basically, Colleen's point was like, you know, we had such uh, like a rich and unusual friendships in high school that it kind of spoiled us. Like, mm -hmm. and it's something I was I didn't I wasn't really self conscious about in the sense that I just figured everybody kind of had like a couple really good friends or something. And but even people who are like really good friends are often really removed from each other in a certain way and don't really get very personal like mm -hmm. they get they get there's like a banter or a or a mm -hmm. some kind of shared interest or a, you know a way to check in but like there's not a lot of like like kind of like extending family yeah you know? yeah and um i don't know what it was about like uh that's you know like colleen mary and simon and, and whatever and you know a few others like in that thing but it was like I mean, part of it was actually, I think, probably the Enneagram, too, was a big part mm -hmm. of it. Um, yeah. Was, like, something that gave us a frame to go beneath the surface. But nonetheless, it was, like, it was a really interesting thought because, um, yeah, just the state of people's alienation and, like, how difficult it is just to have and make and keep friends. Yeah. And, uh, like, that might be an interesting thing to explore, especially that most of us here are social blind in a, in a future thing. of just, like, like, what are friends for and how did they work? And, how, you know, like, yeah. how do people make friends? Because it's, like, yeah, it's, like, uh, you know, like, this podcast was, like, our going to a bar once a week together. 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> but but to instead of just get drunk and fuck around, we were like talking and, and right. exploring and like there's always a way that uh, things were keeping us coming back to something of value that wasn't like we were like none of us were like, all right, what is the group value? Now let me talk about that. It was like, right. this is what I value coming back and back and back. And then through that, I think it was like really, you know, we've all just gone through a lot of shit together. Right. It's like through deepening this thread and there's just something about like keeping that those things that you really care about really like in front of you and not finding people and then bringing them along to your interests, but like mm. using your interests to like, because it's not just what you're interested in is like a thing. It's like where your heart's really at, where your yeah. energy's at. And Oh no, this is what I was saying is like, you know, the past like two years where we've all had like relationship changes and all this other shit, you know, that has like opened up the object relations mm-hmm. so immensely, you know, <laughs> like, right. like, like, because we've all been dealing with our attachments and our, you know, and our rejections and our frustrations and like, we've got more to go. But like, um, yeah, that there's been something so potent there. And so, um, yeah, when, you know, tying it back to like, like Jeffrey Dahmer, like just his thing of wanting to keep supposedly, you know, who knows what the real reason was, but his, his wanting to keep these like skeletons and these, you know, these heads and whatever and these bodies around him in some weird fucked up attachment thing. And, um, he, you know, they didn't talk about this in the, in the show, but he was planning to make a, they, they mentioned it once, but they didn't show it, but he was planning to make like an altar, like a very elaborate altar made of bones and skulls with like two, uh, complete skeletons on either side. Wow. He would just have in his room that he would just, have a chair set up in front of that was like his plan he has like a little drawing you can look up online wow (laughs) of this altar and something it's like very childish the way it's drawn which gives it an even creepier vibe and it was just like the fuck (laughs) you know but it's (laughs) like yeah it's like but it's like an intense loneliness that's both (laughs) interpersonal and spiritual you know it's like yeah like this, this force of death that I can like, like how, you can't really symbolize love or life in a, in a, in that kind of a way, but death, it's monuments are left in it's our bones, you know? And so it's just like this, this inability to connect to the life of anything. Mm-hmm. And so it's just oversaturated in the energies of death. I was, I think it was uh, a conversation I had with you in uh, New York about you know, what is the larger topic that we can connect the Enneagram to? What we've been discovering through all these different facets of the Enneagram is basically how to connect more deeply with ourselves and also how to connect more deeply with each other. And what we can offer eventually is just exploring. I mean, we have been exploring relationships. Like, how do you, beyond like, how do you make a friend, but how do you connect with someone that you're interested in what is connection itself and um you know we talked about soul intercourse how to open your heart how do you open your heart to something like that but i think yeah i think people are lonely partly because the culture itself or capitalism or the way that we all have to like be disconnected from ourselves and even if you wanted to connect with someone if you're not connected to yourself yeah it's not available that connection is not available. You're only able to connect to someone else to the degree that you are seen and connected to your, your own self. And so I think that's something that's 
probably facilitated by the Enneagram because it forces you to um, self-observe and to see things about yourselves, which makes it easier for you to see others mm-hmm. and actually be able to make meaningful connections. And I've seen a lot of really deep friendships that have developed out of people really encountering themselves through the Enneagram. And so even even my own journey of being able to be in my own heart and relationships have has been as a result of being more connected to seeing really being more connected to myself and seeing myself. It wouldn't have happened any other way. Mm-hmm. Totally. One uh, yeah, kind of along those lines. Uh, one thing that struck me in specifically the third episode, but really all of them that I've watched, is um, how much Dahmer like he kind of fought it at first but then he eventually leaned into the full disconnect of the nine Mm, just mm. like full um made up land in his head um and it's interesting I think they did a pretty good job of depicting how he like didn't want to go there and he was kind of fighting it but eventually just dove headfirst in and that's where he lived that was his attachment to disconnect kind of yeah and it's it's just interesting to watch someone have that internal battle and lose um what you guys were just talking about before um like one of my crazy theories is that within each instinct are is something like a facsimile of the other three of the of all three instincts so in other words Within social, there's like a sexual subzone, or you could associate it with that, and then a social within social and a self-present social. And in that um, crazy theory, uh, sexual within social is my own attunement to, to my chemistry around what my beliefs, what I'm into, what I, you know... Uh, uh, I don't know, idealize or am attracted to with other people and what emits from me um, as an energy, as a chemistry that will then attract other people to socialize with and to connect with and to find commonality with and and, uh, to make a a very specific energetic signature with. Mm -hmm. And so, like in the case of Dahmer, his signature, unfortunately, was something he couldn't show anybody. Mm. You know, his social, sig- mm. his specific social signature. And so, um, so that um, ensured that he w- was never going to connect or attach or whatever. And so it kind of created this, um, well, again, attachment to disconnect right. in a specific, yeah formula and to to nancy's uh point like you know the first episode is like to me is like the darkest because it's just this grueling detailed experience but mm-hmm. it's seemingly he is at his most like absolutely out of reality you know and like that whole thing with the exorcist video and like mm-hmm. you know just how um like, I don't remember if they have this in the show, but they, like, I watched the testimony of that guy, Tracy, I think his name is. Um, the guy who, that got away? Yeah, the guy who got mm-hmm. away. Mm-hmm. 
And he kept, he said, like, first of all, it seemed like it was a lot longer, the whole yeah. ordeal stuck with Dahmer. And that Dahmer would um, kind of like chant and moan and like rock sometimes in the midst mm. of the event. Wow. And, you know, I don't know, like, if he got, like, like, you know, if that's something that was present throughout his experiences, but it seems like not, you know, like, at least when people were uh, conscious, you know, but he's like, you know, he's just like, like, like completely losing his sense. And the guy in the testimony kept saying, you know, there was there, there was the Jeffrey Dahmer that was like at the bar that was like nice enough guy talkative and he said he just switched he just become somebody else and he was just like in like a weird waking like you know dissociated state you know monstrous state or something and I that was pretty interesting like how this like sort of gradual loosening of reality and like i mean at that point like he, i think he was on his way to being evicted right like at that point mm-hmm. when he was caught like I he just so. didn't give a fuck about anything Another thing too is uh, they didn't show this, but I mean they showed they alluded to it, but like he would make food for people all the time, like that, like <laughs> yeah. like he was known for like feeding the residents of like you know because he was a, he was a butcher, and so he's probably feeding them people all the time. What? Yeah, it was definitely people meat. <clears throat> like there's there's a thing where they like like he offers it to one of the car- one of his neighbor in the show, and you know she's she's like kind of onto it, but. People actually ate some some Def- wow. Jeffrey Dahmer specialties. I mean, that's <laughs> yeah. uh, self pres love. You know what I mean? You <laughs> feed people, mm-hmm. and so you create a family. Feed, <laughs> feeding people, people is like a, the <laughs> the self infested. There you go. It's yeah. Free. By the end, all that was in his fridge was people and alcohol. Cool. The staples. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. I mean, I guess it's shocking, but there are parts of the world where people still eat people. That's a thing. That's bananas. Well, um, if you want to get into the genetics of it, there might be some benefits, but you know. Anyway. <laughs> Go ahead. The, the self-press type has spoken. <laughs> My mom likes, even though she's a two, she likes telling these brutal stories because she has an aid fix, but she was telling me about how uh, she knew somebody who knew somebody who had a boyfriend, a very good-looking boyfriend, and this person that she knew, family, lived in the part of Nigeria where they still eat people. And so she wanted to take her boyfriend to go see the family. And so she brought the boyfriend to the house. And these people looked at this boyfriend of hers. And they liked him so much that they went and cooked him. When she came back to say, where's my boyfriend? He's like, He's, we liked him, so we ate him. He's dinner. Yeah. Wow. Imagine. Highest Sounds praise. Like- we <laughs> liked him, so we ate him. That's why I don't bring Alexander in my family. <laughs> that was great. Bring these fresh fruits. That's fucking wild. There's another aspect of Dahmer that, like, I don't know if the or no, it, I guess it was real because I watched, um, yeah, I watched an interview of his from prison afterwards. Um, where he and this can be a nineism. I don't know. We'll see what you guys think. Um, where he talks about like. I can't remember his wording now, but he talks about like um, his like inner impulse or this like inner drive, this like inner sort of like corrupted monster Mm. that he was able to like hold down for a while. And then during that, like 
don't know, there was like a killing spree that he went on where he talks about he just gave himself completely over to this inner, um, I don't remember the word that he used, but this like inner impulse, this like inner drive or something like that. Hmm. Um, yeah, there was also just like more, <laughs> more on nine. Um, but it was also his motivating drive was to have complete autonomy, was to have complete control over another person. Yep. Hmm. You know, so it's like a growing <clears throat> impulse, all centered around autonomy, all centered around power, all centered around like all of these things that nine inherently just like naturally doesn't feel that they have, but all want. And, and like we know just like, and that's like where Joker nine can absolutely come out, you know, of like a nine feels, um, I don't know, like everything is happening to them. And the yeah. longer that they let things happen to them, the bigger the shadow uh, becomes, the bigger the impulse comes where they need to like take control again. Yeah. yeah and, and he uh, sort of didn't have the right in the context of nineness to speak up. Yeah. in the world about what he wanted or mm -hmm. needed. So he was just going to secretly take it. And that's a very nine theme mm -hmm. is sort of sneaky stuff that I do that nobody knows about where right. I get my goodies because I can't speak up. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything that's important that we should hit on before we wrap this shit up? Um, I don't think so. Nines are crazy. <laughs> Uh, please come and get me. I don't know where I am. <laughs> Alexander's basement me. somewhere. She's already trying to me over. It'll be too late by the time you guys listen to this episode. So hopefully you turned it to soup. You're already yeah. missing a toe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm wearing him around my neck right now. <laughs> I like how his teeth jangle on the chain. <laughs> All right. Hi y'all. Right. See you. Right. Bye. Hi y'all. <laughs> oh, also, we're recording a live pod next week, so DM us your questions at the Big Hormone Instagram or email us at bhepodcast at gmail.com or leave a comment in the Facebook group. Eat your morals. 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 Eat your thoughts. Eat your morals.